Hi, I'm Shreya Bakliwal and this is Women Who Build Podcast. This episode is really close to my heart as I speak with Ashley Aden, who is working to bring more diversity to the world of entrepreneurship and venture capital through her work at Vamos Ventures. Ashley represents the true spirit of women who build and is one of the most helpful people I know in the New York startup ecosystem. She's also the go-to person for everything consumer and healthcare for founders in New York. Ashley started her career at Morgan Stanley in capital markets and moved into strategic roles at shopteaks.com, Saks Fifth Avenue and Estee Lauder, focused on the intersection of consumer and technology. She was previously an investor at Brand Foundry Ventures, Founders Factory and Dorm Room Fund across commerce, health and wellness and financial technology. Ashley holds a BA from Brown University and an MBA from MIT Sloan. Now without further delay, I have Ashley for you. Ashley, it's so good to have you. You have always been so supportive throughout my career journey from business school to venture capital. You're a true representation of women who build. Thank you so much for having me and really appreciate this initiative. I think it's much needed to highlight different voices in this space and hopefully increase the diversity uh, in here. So, super excited to chat today. Ashley, let's let's start from the beginning. You know, can you just walk us through your journey starting in investment banking at Morgan Stanley to now investing in Vamos Ventures. So what really led you to venture capital? Well, I graduated from Brown uh, University in, in Providence, Rhode Island, and during my time at Brown is really where I got my first view into sort of the entrepreneurship world. At that time, you know, this was between 2009 and 2013 when I graduated, Brown's entrepreneurship programming was just i think heating up with that though i um was a traditional you know immigrant daughter and went into finance after yeah. after school even though i had the entrepreneurial and startup bug in me and uh, went to morgan stanley i was at in capital markets there on an equities desk covering you know consumer companies um and by the way you know that's been my the theme throughout my career is consumer journeys, consumer meets technology, you know what makes consumers tick. And then after that because i you know missed sort of that entrepreneurial bug or being around those types of people, uh, i went to work for a YC backed startup called shopteaks.com hmm. uh, and what shopteaks did was um basically was an Etsy for boutiques sort of built out their digital storefront so that these small mom and pop boutiques could sell online uh did everything from like sales to business strategy there uh and you know it was night and day compared to Morgan Stanley with yeah. really rolling up my sleeves and you know doing a lot of the the unsexy work if you will of, right. of what happens at an early stage startup and then um you know for the for the next few years before business school um was at a few different corporates doing uh you know focused on digital experiences where consumer meets technology yeah. and then when i went to my you know get my mba at mit sloan that's where i really transitioned into the venture world having you know this operating experience having the the financial analytical experience and i thought it was a great mesh of the two to then jump into venture capital i mean you know thinking about sort of this thematic way of of doing things and you know having a pulse on where the world's going and just being around super smart and ambitious and hustler personalities um that want to change the world really you know just just inspired me and um you know being a Puerto Rican Turkish girl again you know first gen from from New York 
um, I wasn't really around all these people growing up. Yeah. You know, it really meant something to me to, to be around them in, in the venture capital space. And so um, worked at a few different funds and then, you know, went, went to Vamos Ventures full time after graduation, um, really covering all those verticals. But at Vamos, we're focused on, you know, also the diversity angle, which is investing in Latinx and other diverse entrepreneurs. Uh, across different spaces. We're currently only US based, but we do hope to expand to LATAM and, and in other areas. Uh, and, and you know, the, from an alignment perspective, I really did want to go to a fund that also had that, that impact angle. Right. So here I am. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a very inspiring story, starting from banking to now landing in venture capital. From the last time we spoke, you did mention that you started helping founders. And this obviously uh, was as part of um, you know, the venture capital internships that you pursued, it's, it's always hard uh, to get those internships as well, right? So what really shaped you um, and what were some, um, you know, if you were to give an advice to some of the listeners who may be in business school at this point, what would you really tell them? Yeah, there's a bunch of different things. I think, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind, and I often say this to, to the folks that I mentor who, you know, have, have chats with me about breaking into venture is, doing the job before you get the job. And yeah. what that means is exactly what you said, um, helping founders in whatever way you can before you're even in the startup and venture world. And that could mean, you know, you have experience in marketing at a different company, or, you know, you have a really strong passion for the healthcare space and, you know, have insights there, right? And so what you want to do is be proactive in your outreach and, you know, get to know those healthcare startups, get to know startups that are trying to figure out what their go-to-market uh, is and marketing strategy is, and, you know, be a value add, be proactive in developing those relationships. I, I can tell you right now that a lot of my success has come from founders that I've helped even in business school. Right to them, you know, for them amplifying my, my, you know, brands and my voice. The other thing is, um, you know, do become an expert on a space, you know, again, mm. my, my whole entire career surrounds, uh, is surrounded by this consumer, right, yeah. theme. And so uh, I love that. I'm, I'm known for that. Uh, I write about it all the time. And so write about something you're passionate about and, yeah. you know, try to spread the word about it. There's no, you know, VCs are notorious for having like very strong opinions and very wacky opinions. Yeah. Do not be embarrassed or shy or do not think that what you have to say is silly. Right. Um, just go for it, you know, go yeah. for it and be uniquely you in your perspectives. Yeah. And the, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, leverage your university networks. Uh, I can't tell you, hmm. uh, yeah, I, I wish I did this more at, yeah. at MIT, yeah. you know, at the at mit.edu email address is very, very powerful, as I'm sure, you know, are the universities that whoever's listening to, to this podcast, you know, attend, use that. Everyone wants to talk to a student. Everyone, um, you know, wants to know what, what's going on on campus with the entrepreneurial and startup ecosystems. Yeah. And so, you know, leverage that and start conversations with investors. That's a great point, Ashley. I do feel that there are many people who want to share their point of view but uh, they are just too scared because as you rightly said that VCs have very strong point of view and uh, these people who want to share uh, may get scared but what actually happens is once you start sharing you get more and more people to comment on what you've written and that way how you think or what you think really takes shape gets firmer so that really makes 
your investment decisions sharper i feel so thanks thanks for sharing this point ashley now i'm just moving on to your work at wamos ventures what does your day to day look like it's uh it's it's a great question because every every day is different and and i think that's one of the reasons why i like the job um you know a typical day for me is reading you know right. just taking the first you know hour of the day to just indulge and read about the fintech news and the health yeah. and wellness news and yeah. anything going on and particularly you know the, the latinx and diverse communities and then you know a good portion of my day is talking to people whether it's founders and you know trying to figure out um, what they're working on or how they're building things and if it would be a good fit for Vamos and then you know generally on the investor side um catching up on what they're looking at what excites them you know is there any alignment with any of the deals or companies that we're looking at to to what they're looking at yeah and then you know we're doing a lot of thesis building at the fund right now which is you know such a wonderful exercise i think yeah. often at venture funds they revisit these conversations every 3 4 months if not 6 months yeah. um and so what we're doing right now is you know we've done a lot of great investing to date we've invested in 23 companies um and you know in the past year year and a half and or so and now we're taking sort of a, a step back and saying you know let's figure out specifically for example in the health and wellness space what we want to target and what areas we find most interesting especially as it relates to the communities and impact that that we're focused on yeah. so there's a, sort of a lot of you know the the reading and consuming there's a lot of the network building and um you know hunting for deals if you will and developing relationships and there's a lot of the thesis and perspective yeah, um, yeah. and when you're building out your thesis I mean do you only focus on thesis building or do you also do deal side by side or how does one really manage his or her time Yeah I mean I think we're you know very candidly trying to figure that out because we yeah. can you know we said to ourselves let's just stop investing for a few weeks yeah. and focus on the thesis building and really give it our all right. but it's so hard in the space because there's something happening yeah. every day <laughs> So we're trying to we're trying to do it at the same time but you know I think being more t- intentional about allotting a good portion of our days at least in the next few weeks yeah. to really like again consume and develop that strong perspective yeah. and the more conversations you have the more informed you are and the more I think perspective again you you know you can you can sharpen your perspective through, through those types of conversations okay. um and so you know to answer your 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 question um it, it's happening at the same time yeah So actually let's just talk about your thesis and your sectors of focus since you mentioned culturally competent care any specific use cases that you're excited about What I could do is I could talk about sort of the, the healthcare landscape generally and give them yeah, and get into absolutely. some of these specific areas yeah. Um you know 2021 was a record setting year for digital health funding yeah. I think there was close to 30 billion dollars raised by US based startups Um and that's much higher right compared to to 2020 which I think was close to 15 billion. Yeah. Um so a lot of exciting stuff happening in this space and a huge focus for Vamos just given that health and wellness inherently is impactful because you're improving people's lives right. Yeah. Um you know there's a few different trends that are accelerating I think this space which is healthcare spending continues to grow. I think the pandemic highlighted the importance of one's health and so there's this move that it's power to the people yeah. with more at home and personalized care which is very inspiring actually people taking ownership of their health. And then you know on more of the impact side and cultural awareness side there's still a lot of disparities in access to quality and affordable care, right? Yeah. And that's 
you know, I, I don't know why we haven't solved this problem yet. Um, I think, you know, there are a bunch of promising startups and companies that have focused on this. And I do think it's a collective effort. So hopefully we're getting there. And I think, um, you know, finally, it's investing in products and solutions, bettering health experiences, health experiences, excuse me, and outcomes that, you know, are impactful. So I think the last two things I said are sort of related to each other in the sense that, you know, we don't want to focus on solutions and products that, you know, can solve one use case. It's mm. having this huge impact. You know, that's why we see a lot yeah. of healthcare companies start with one use case, but then go on and expand to be more holistic health solutions. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about big things here. Uh, and then particularly on the culturally competent side, you know, some things that are that are top of mind for us is racial and ethnic minorities are disproportionately burdened by chronic illnesses, right? You have, for example, a lot of diabetes, a lot of heart health issues in, in our communities. Um, and I think the population at risk for chronic conditions is becoming more diverse, right? When yeah. we talk about sort of Latino statistics and the growth of the Latino um, population in the United States and the black populations, right? Black and brown folks, like the, the, the demographics growing. And so, yeah. you know, there needs to be a lot of focus here. Um, and as I mentioned, access to healthcare does differ by race and ethnicity, unfortunately, still in this country. And so, you know, th there needs to be focus there too. And then interestingly enough, a couple of the companies that we've looked at too are focused on language and communication barriers right. and that's so problematic right um you know low literacy affects access to health care and you know i think especially for um the latino community it's not one person going through a health issue it's the entire um family and so yeah. what you see is lack of cultural competency i think leads to a lot of patient um dissatisfaction if, if that makes sense and so how do you like when when you uh, look at something that targets a community how do you sort of uh, figure out what the market size could look like do you think it's niche or do you think there will be more depth into it just because it's targeted to a, towards a community and there are like so many other things that can happen right diabetes to heart attack to whatever absolutely so how do you look absolutely. at it yeah, I think it's it's definitely we're intentional in, in doing the market sizing with bottoms up and, and the tops down approach, of right. course. Um, but I think that as long as, you know, there's an awareness around right. these communities and an awareness that these communities are growing in the United States and there's, you know, the, the founders are um, in tune with, with these trends, that's what matters most to us. It's not yeah. to say that we're only going to look at, you know, mental health solutions focused on black and brown folks, although that's important to us. It's also a heart health company coming to market mm. and saying, hey, like we're going to start with hypertension and then we're going to move to other areas of heart health. We know that black and brown communities are, you know, disproportionately affected by this. And yeah. so in our go to market, we're going to be mindful of that, right? Like that stuff is also important to us. Yeah. Um, you know, from a demographics perspective, I often get the question and we often get the question as, as a fun, like why Latinx and why diverse folks? Um, you know, there's a large and young and high growth and tech savvy entrepreneurial Latinx demo, right? Yeah. Um, both on, again, the founder side and then on the, the traditional like demographic side, 60% of the U.S. population growth from, I think it was 2005 to 2020, um, was, you know, the Latino population. And yeah. we have a lot of purchasing power. And again, this, this community is very entrepreneurial. Yeah. And so we think that both from, again, a, a fund that invests in these types of founders, but also 
um, as we talk to our portfolio companies of like, hey, like, you know, pay attention to this demographic, it's growing, um, you know, that, that's why we're here, sort of to, to keep folks accountable to, to that mission. Yeah. And in this context, I was just trying to get to mental health. I remember the last time we spoke about mental health, we discussed as to how, you know, the space has received record-breaking funding rounds in the past year. And uh, while we've seen so many innovations happening in the basic form of uh, anxiety and uh, depression, uh, we've, we've not seen too many that actually focus on serious mental illness. Uh, but when it comes to the Latino community, what exactly are you seeing? Yeah, I think it's it's a lot of things. I think first and foremost, there's sort of, you know, needs to be a cultural shift. And I think you're seeing this with the younger demographic and in, in Latino community of, um, you know, it's it hasn't been looked favor- favorably upon to focus on your mental health and to talk about your mental health problems, as I'm sure it is with a lot of other cultures too, like, for example, Middle Eastern culture. Even right? Indian. I um, mean, it's, it's the yeah. same. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, often seen like as a sign of weakness that you're going through something right um and to be resilient and whatnot but i think what the pandemic showed us is that it's okay to you know everyone's going through a lot of stuff and it's okay to start talking about these issues right um you know again with gen z and some of the younger demographic a lot more people are open uh to to these types of solutions and um seeking out help and so i think that's one sort of it's, it's sort of that cultural shift too is the education around that cultural shift and saying like hey here's why mental health is important here's why you should be open about it and here are some solutions that you could use is the next step with making people more aware and then you know the 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 step after that is retention right making sure that companies are coming up with innovative ways to keep therapists retained and engaged in a person's mental health journey and on the other side right um, making sure that the consumer journey has you know not that many friction points to keep a consumer engaged and wanting to better his or her mental health and um you know right when the the care ends making sure that they have the the skills and um the awareness to maintain that you know if they do have a situation again that does yeah. affect their mental health to say hey i learned this from this company yeah. and i'm going to sort of incorporate it right into, into my day-to-day well, that's really cool because nobody nobody talks about what happens if it strikes again, right? Nobody really no. talks about it. So that's a great perspective. The providers, the therapists, etc., have to be very particular that um, whatever they provide them, whatever tools they provide the patients with, have to be long lasting. Um, Absolutely. There, yeah. There's a company that we were looking at um, called Handspring Health, and they're focused on pediatric mental health care. And wow. we really like their approach, and you know we're keeping an eye on them because um, a lot of companies, unfortunately, uh, the larger ones are just like pill popping. You know, mm. they're like, you have this issue, here's a pill. Yeah. Um, you know, very transactional and like very fast in their care. Yeah. And what Handspring is doing is they're um, incorporating a lot of skills building, right, with with these uh, children and and young adults of like, hey, like, here are some learnings that you can then take after, you know, your experience with Handspring to then incorporate into sort of the day to day. And it's less of like, you know, a reaction. It's more like preventative care, which is something that we we like to talk about, too. Like we like companies that are focused on prevention and, for example, active aging and, you know, bettering heart health. 
uh, and lifestyle changes yeah. versus you know what is costing the U.S. healthcare system a lot of money, which is a lot of this reactionary. Yeah, that's a great point. Now I'd like to move to active aging. What does active aging really mean? Sure, I think for us it means a lot of different things. I think generally it's optimizing opportunities for health, participation, and security in order to enhance the quality of life as as people age, right? And so what that means is, um, you know, it could be an exercise, um, you know, focused company. It could be a heart health company, right? That that's somewhat related. Yeah. It could be particularly in women's women's care, menopause. And, um, you know, talking more about the issues that women face as they age. It could be things like aging in place and making people comfortable and safe with their surroundings. Listen, I am very um, vocal about how we do not care enough about the elderly population in this country and how it it does need to get better um, as a consumer journey in and of itself. Um, Everything from... You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going through stuff with my own, you know, grandmother right now of, you know, she she isn't what she was like, you know, five years ago. And so it's top of mind of how do we make her the most comfortable as she progresses, right, in, in her age. And it's, it's so it's a lot of different things. It's a lot of interesting conversations. And, um, you know, the aging population is also growing in, in the United States. And so I think there needs to be a big focus here, too. So what are the models that you are seeing in active aging? Are they only related to health or do they also include financial services, insurance, entertainment and the likes? I'm almost thinking about everything that an elder would want to do. So what are you seeing? It's an interesting question because we you know, often have this debate of a lot of healthcare companies have gone sort of the, the B2B route, right? Um, and there's a lot of talk about how that's fatigued with yeah. employers, right? Yeah. Um, and so some of the companies that we recently invested in have that B2C approach. And I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion of oh, customer acquisition costs and expensive, and it's so hard to get to these people. There's so many options. But I think, and this might be my consumer investor mindset, if you have a really great product and and or solution, you know, build it and, and they'll come, right? Yeah. Uh, build it and you'll you'll get them, uh, you know, engaged and active and, and retained. Um, and so, uh, you know, heart health company that's in, in stealth mode right now, so I can't really mention anything else about yeah. them, but they're going with that model of really understanding the consumer, doing a lot of research, you know, building out, testing and iterating, doing sort of that product-led growth approach um, and, you know, and having real conversations with consumers and, you know, targeting community organizations, targeting, you know, elderly organizations and going, you know, in, in a very interesting way to that poor customer and speaking to them firsthand and incorporating, again, their, their feedback and, and their product and making it the best product possible. So I think there's a lot of that, testing, iterating, product-led growth. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting models now, too, with whether it's in health and wellness or fintech or other areas, ambassador type of um, go-to-market approaches where you have, you know, um, you know, me as a spokesperson, for example, for women's health or for mental health. Um, and, you know, me being that persona that the company is focused on and almost there are inherent network effects with, hey, my friends are very, you know, related to me. And so if they see me 
going through something and using something, maybe they're more likely to to come on board too. So I think there's a lot of interesting go-to-market approaches. And then obviously the traditional like B2B approaches with selling and to employers, et cetera. But um, you're seeing a lot more exciting stuff on on the B2C side, in my opinion. It's interesting how we're having this conversation around GTM strategy. And uh, one thing that I both noticed and read somewhere, I believe it was the A16Z article around B2C to B GTM strategy, which seems to be working better now because there are so many businesses that are pitching to enterprise clients that now, um, you know, the admin or the HR is confused. And so now the the idea is that employees will use these services and then they will convince the company or their company to actually buy the services that they like. So B to C to B apparently is working better now. That's exactly what's happening, I yeah. think. And I think yeah. that the companies who are able to do that successfully are going to win. So Ashley, what would it really take for Americans to start paying for their own health, right? Um, they they are not used to it they've always been covered by insurance so what would really trigger the the payment i think i think you know more people are becoming health conscious generally so that that's right. a trend that's favorable but i also think that you know as you and this is where the education piece comes in handy mm. right if you sort of um start at the ages where you know, this isn't even top of mind for folks, let's say like young adulthood, teen, um, you know, 20s. And, you know, there's increased marketing or storytelling or, um, you know, examples around like, hey, like what you do in the next 20 years is going to affect you like later on in life. There needs to be a lot more of that push from companies. And, you know, thankfully you're you're seeing that. Um, I think there will be you know, I think there will be uh, more conversion to like more of these like cash pay models. But, you know, interestingly, as we said, like sort of the, the B to C to uh, to B approach, uh, you know, again, you get people excited about it and say like, hey, like, why don't we have this at our company? Yeah. You know, then you get sort of the, the employers paying. So there's a couple of things that work here. Um, but I do think the conversation does start with uh, with educating and then getting people excited about, you know, owning their health again, right? And yeah. maintaining their health and being the best, you know, person person that they could be and having all the resources needed to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's talk about Vamos Ventures. So Vamos definitely supports diverse founders that are also, to a great extent, going after diverse problems. Tell me... What is your investment philosophy? What are the stages that you come in? What are the kind of founders that you look for? Absolutely. So, you know, our fund strategy, like our core strategy is investing in early stage US-based companies started by diverse founders, right? We are doubling down on the Latinx founders, as I I mentioned. Um, You know, there's another part of our strategy, though, that is limited limited expansion to later stage and cross-border companies led by Latinx founders, too, um, that will be of value add to the portfolio. We're talking about, you know, Series C deals, um, Series B deals, and beyond that, you know, hopefully there's this wealth creation. This way they can help some of our early stage portfolio companies, you know, figure out how do I scale up, up to that point. Yeah. Um, the thesis is, is, you know, very, I think, straightforward in the sense that we think the next 
tech era will be shaped by diverse experiences and diverse founders. And the current VC ecosystem overlooks that diverse talent oftentimes, whether it's founders or even investors on their team. There's that. And then also the Latinx demo is emerging as a major economic and consumer force, as, as we yeah. talked about before. Um, on the portfolio side, we're doing primarily pre-seed to series A. I would say the bread and butter seed. Um, again, we are being more opportunistic with those later stage deals. On the lower end of the check range, uh, 500K, I would say on the higher end, anywhere between two to three million. Um, you know, we, we have led deals in the past. We have, we have uh, followed on in the past. I think it depends on the opportunity. The biggest thing to us though is alignment and mm. a shared vision as to where the world's going. And that could mean, you know, um, bettering health experiences uh, with overlooked and underserved communities in the healthcare space. That could mean improving access and education around, you know, financial wealth, right? And, um, uh, and, and financial services and how to, you know, create wealth, not only for myself, but for the generations after me. Yeah. Uh, and so there are a lot of different uh, themes running here. You know, thankfully, we, again, have invested in, in 23 different companies. I think we'll get to 40, um, you know, by, by the end of this year, if not going into, into the following year a little bit. And, you know, the, 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 the takeaway here is that we're doing what we said we were going to do, which yeah. is investing in really great, diverse founding teams. Um, you know, th there's a lot of different uh, things at play here, but we're executing on the mission. And what, what's interesting about this as well as you see founders then come to Vamos and say, you know, I'm tired of my cap table not being diverse. I'm tired of not having those diverse perspectives in the room. I want a fund like Vamos to keep me accountable to that mission um, and to, to that impact side of things. Yeah. And so how is your team structured? Is it mostly from the Latino community? Yeah, um, we have a fully diverse team. So, um, you know, on the investment team, we're all um, diverse. We're all, uh, you know, we all do identify as Latinx in some way, shape or form. Uh, we have actually, interesting enough, we're 50% men, 50% women, which is a nice mm, split. Wow. And one of the missions, by the way, that's related to this with Vamos is we're not just enriching um, we're trying to, you know, increase diversity in the, the startup community. We're also increasing diversity on the investor side. So we have a program, for example, called the Scout Program, right. where we take, you know, about six um, deep functional experts, people who have spent a lot of years in their different industries to then come and get exposure to investing. Okay. And these people are trying to build their investing track records through, you know, um, be, through being angels or through, you know, transitioning to a venture capital fund. And so we're helping them get that deal exposure and deal experience. And then every year we have a summer associate program where we bring about uh, three or four uh, students from different MBA programs and even undergrad programs to also get that deal exposure and venture capital experience. And it's so confusing to me that a lot of funds who are even bigger than us in AUM don't have these programs. You know, you, you talk about wanting to create a funnel and pipeline of diverse investors. Well, where are your ins yeah. for, for doing that? You know? Yeah, absolutely. So when should a when should an investment firm actually think about 
starting a scouts program? I think, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of scout programs that, that have pop up, yeah. popped up in the last few years and they're all structured differently and all have different incentives. I think, listen, if you have, so Vamos is in fun one. We're, we're, we're still the new kids on the block, but listen, we still launched a scout program because that's important to our mission. Yeah. So I don't think there's a right time other than you have someone on your team who's dedicated to making this a really good experience, both for, you know, the scouts and the yeah. fund. Um, to have people really engaged and active to the mission, aligned to the mission, and wanting to like go hunt for deals, but that it's not a one-way street, right? So again, on the scout side, it's the fund's responsibility to really train them to um, you know uh, accept their deal flow, to sort of have this be an iterative process as to what's a good fit for for a venture return, yeah. right, or a, a venture fund, um, and then on the flip side. Um, the, the funds uh, also, you know, you, leveraging the scouts experiences with their networks and their different deep functional expertise to then be better at fintech investing or mm-hmm. health and wellness investing or, right. you know, consumer tech investing. So, you know, that's all to say that I think there needs to be a mutual understanding on both sides and there needs to be um, an understanding that this is all a learning process for mm-hmm. everyone. So you also talked about the internal culture at Wamos, right? And how you want to make sure that all the investment team members are great reps of your organization. So how do you maintain that? Or what are the steps that you take to make sure that the culture is right? You know, startup culture is talked about often, but uh, the venture culture is not. So would would love to sort of get your point of view on how you are doing it. It's a wonderful question. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of shuffling, even with my friends who joined venture out of business school, like they're like, hey, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. And it really just comes down to the funds culture. I think, you know, how much ownership you get in doing your job. And then, you know, again, going back to this conversation of like, are there people on this team like me where I feel appreciated? Right. And where my diverse perspective is looked favorably upon. Um, So there's a lot of that. So, you know, if I was a person going into venture and deciding like what fund I wanted to, to, you know, be a part of, I would do a lot of like back channeling on, you know, not only from founders, but from people who have previously worked or who currently work um, at the fund, of course, in a friendly way, you don't want to come off as like, hey, I'm doing like investigation (laughs) stuff to uncover like the bad culture at the fund. But it's more of, hey, like, let me know what are the really good parts of the job, what are the really icky parts of the job, right? And again, you could do that, you know, you could try to have those conversations with current employees, You, but I would especially have those conversations with folks who have left the fund, like do some LinkedIn stalking and LinkedIn research, and then also do a lot of research with some of the founders who are portfolio companies, right? Of saying like, hey, how is this fund involved in your, you know, in your day-to-day or in your quarterly updates? Like, what is the value add here? Like, are you getting a lot out of it? And um, really what I would be trying to vet is ownership. Um, You know, how, even as a junior person, for example, am I only gonna be responsible for sourcing and hunting? Um, Is my uh, opinion gonna be really valued in investment committee? Um, You know, and and although not a lot of funds can can offer that, um, you know, being more junior, at least a path to get there, right? Like is this really an apprenticeship model where I'm shadowing board meetings, where I'm shadowing, you know, 
really difficult conversations with with founders. Um, you know, is there a path to partner here, or is it like sort of two years in and, and two years out? Um, you know, what is really appreciated at this fund? Is it the operational experience? Is it the finance experience? And how could I really like highlight myself and you know stand out from the crowd with uh, you know, getting more deals in the door um, or, you know, again, that, that path to partner. So it's a lot of doing this research and figuring out if it really is a cultural fit. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. You know, do, do a lot of vetting and, and don't settle. Like make sure the opportunity that you get, you really feel comfortable with. Don't just go for the brand name. Don't just go for, you know, the, the sexy portfolio companies. And it's a great point that you just brought about, which is don't, don't follow brand names right and you are also new um which means yeah. that the level of responsibilities that you have and the kind of you know roles that you play in the organization are way diverse versus i don't want to name funds but like the bigger yeah. funds right sure. so um i think one the other exciting part that you talked about is just building a community around yourself um yeah. so what does community building really mean to you and what has worked for you and why do you think that has worked for you yeah i love community building i think it's a fun, <laughs> fun part of the job in the sense that you're bringing people together who yeah. like usually don't know each other yeah um from a founder side from an investor side and you're just seeing these relationships form into like friendships right at, at the end of the day um you know one of our portfolios came up to us and said in one of our in our touch races like you know, as a sole founder, it's very hard to get pitch feedback and it's very hard to go through this journey, right? So, you know, something that I would really appreciate is you connecting me to other sole founders in your portfolio or maybe founders who have gone through this process Absolutely. to talk about the, the dirty stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even that's community, community building is connecting portfolio companies together, connecting founders together. The founding journey is not as, you know, glamorous as everyone paints it up to be. Yeah. There's a lot of loneliness in that yeah. journey. Yeah. And to have either an investor or a fellow, fellow founder to go through that journey with, I think is, is just in, invaluable and someone you feel comfortable speaking with. So that's one thing um, uh, that's part of the community building. The other thing is uh, what I mentioned is these in-person events and connecting other investors and other founders who even are outside of our portfolio together. We've done a bunch of stuff in the past quarter with a focus on Latinx and diverse founders. We've done a breakfast in New York. We've done a few happy hours and dinners in Los Angeles where we call it like sort of friends and um, founders and friends of, mm, of the fund. Yeah. And that means that it's not just, you know, founders and investors, it means that there's operators who are like maybe thinking about their next step, yeah. who maybe like wants to connect with that founder or investor to inspire him or her to then, you know, do it and, yeah. you know, just go for that idea. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that that's how we're thinking about community building and of course, amplifying this entire conversation that there's a lot of good stuff happening, you know, in the diverse founder and investor world so like come on in and, and sort of be a part of the part of the family got it and so if i have to recommend a company to you then how do i build that connection with you or you know what what really makes me think instantly or make that connection in my mind that hey this company can definitely go to ashley i think it's just i think it's being um intentional about who you you want to get to know so 
you know, if you have an investor that you really look up to out of funds, or maybe someone that you, you know, see on LinkedIn that is focused on, you know, the health and wellness space or a specific thread in the health and wellness space that you're excited about, reach out to that person and, you know, just doesn't have to stop at that one intro meeting, you know, suggest like, hey, like, I really like what you say and what you talk about. Let's keep the conversation going. Like, can we set up set up like an every six week or every eight weeks or every quarter, whatever, touch base, yeah. right? Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's okay to ask for that. And hopefully that, that mutual chemistry builds over time where you then feel comfortable with sending him or her deals or saying like, Hey, if you don't look at this, you'd be silly. Right. Um, or inviting them to events. Yeah. That's how you develop, I think, good relationships. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about your past because I resonate with it a lot. And I'm sure there are many listeners who would because you know we've we've increasingly seen this trend where investment bankers instead of going to private equity want to go to startups and venture capital so how has your experience in banking really shaped you as a venture capitalist and what are the things that are same what are the things that are different you know my my working style has changed in the sense that you know, instead of, you know, thinking about public equities and like what makes big companies tick, it's more about understanding, you know, how difficult and nuanced this founding journey is and that not everything is going to be figured out, whether it's with the company or from a deal perspective and things are going to transpire, right? And right. so it's being less of that sort of like rigid, you know, Virgo type personality yeah. uh, versus, <laughs> you know, I think being a more open and understanding and go with the flow person yeah. um, because these transpire all the, all the time with deals. So I think that's how my working styles changed. And thankfully, I think over time it's become more collaborative because we're all pushing in the same direction, right? Like at, at Vamos Ventures, we all see a world that we talked about, you know, at the beginning of, of this podcast where, you know, diverse founders and investors are a bigger, bigger part. Um, and so, you know, that mutual understanding, I think, helps every day that even the little things that we do, even if we pass on a founder, but we provide them with a resource book of how to go about their fundraise, right. that's still contributing, right, to, to the conversation, to yeah. the moving forward. Right. And how do you build this resource book? Is, is it a combination of internal, external, or... How do you really combination internal and external resources? Yeah. You know, one thing that we, we say is that we, we never really say no to founders. It's more of like, okay, you're in our family now. Um, you know, and maybe it's not the right time for the pre-seed, but maybe it'll be the right time for the seed or series A. And so in the meantime, you know, we're trying to help them with providing feedback on their decks, with providing feedback on their storytelling, with providing feedback on their business model, and with um, you know, sharing uh, a Vamos Ventures resource book, if you will, or one pager or two pager or notion page, um, where they could go about and look at all these different resources right. and really like scope them in. Right. And do they come back to you? Uh, or like, yeah. a lot of times, a lot of times, yeah, you know, often if the founders are open to it, I always like keeping in touch with people. So I'm like, listen, add me to your newsletter or whatever updates that you're open to adding me to. And, you know, I'll, I'll read through the entire thing and you know, I, I will keep in touch with, with founders. One last question that I have is, who inspires you and why? <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. Well, there's a few people that inspired me. I'll mention two. Um, one is Sarah Blakely of Spanx, because yeah. I think she's one of the, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the business and then the, the personal. Yeah. Um, 
Sarah Blakely of, of Spanx, she's so humble and just like a natural person who like, you know, a lot of business people get to a certain point and they're like very preachy and, you know, very, you know, if you want to be successful, this is how she's not like that. She's very like, you know, be yourself and don't give uh, you know, ask about anyone and just, yeah, be you in this journey. And that's perfectly fine. That's what I did, you know, and I built this billion dollar company. So I love her for her personality and for humble, for her humbleness, wonderful entrepreneur, very caring to her staff too, and actually listens to her employees, um, and built a really great product. Uh, I think on the, the personal side, it is my grandmother. Um, you know, she, Grew up a very hard life in Puerto Rico, came to New York, settled down in Brooklyn. My family then moved to Staten Island. But she um, was an entrepreneur in her own way in sort of raising a family and um, and building a better life for her, for her kids, right? And so, again, going back to sort of that mentality of wealth creation and bettering things for the next generation and leading the path forward, she's such a wonderful um, figure yeah. in, in my life for that. And it's a great point that you just mentioned, and I've been thinking about this so, so deeply, that when when I was growing up, my father always was concerned about paying my school fee, right? And that's why he worked hard and harder, harder every day. And then now that he's like, he's almost into retirement, he's, he's eased up a little bit, and now he looks up to me to do that right (laughs) to set that intention right and so I was it was so funny because uh just last month we went on a trip and then he was like okay so the next trip will be sponsored by you and then (laughs) (laughs) it all comes full circle (laughs) yeah absolutely so it was so much fun and I feel like if if you really have that intention if you have something that you really want to contribute to uh it could be personal or you know like worldly whatever it is but if you have that thing in your mind then that really keeps you going um and and it's great that you mentioned your grandmom because not too many people are so observant and uh, so personal so thank you so much for sharing that yeah absolutely she's one of my favorite people so um no i I appreciate you having me on this and um you know i I really also value our relationship and Absolutely. you know just having another woman in the venture and startup space to, to talk about these things with is you know really really special absolutely thank you so much for doing this and uh, have a great rest of the day thank you hope you enjoyed our conversation today we release a new episode every two weeks if you like the podcast please rate us on apple podcasts or share our content on whatsapp linkedin Twitter, or whichever medium you use to stay in touch with your colleagues, friends, and family. Follow us on Twitter at Women Who Bill One, B U I L One, for updates and more content. We hope you have a great day, and until the next episode, bye.